We are in the midst of a series called God's Big Ten, and we're looking at the Ten Commandments. And uh, we're going to, if you've been following along closely, you're going to realize that today we've skipped one. So we've skipped the Sixth Commandment. We're coming back to that next week. And today I'm talking about the Seventh Commandment, which is do not steal. Okay, and so to start off, I have a little bit of a confession for you. Um, I committed my first misdemeanor offense when I was in elementary school. So... I stole something, and you know, usually stealing something um, would give you a little bit of street cred maybe on the, at recess on the playground at Jefferson Elementary School, but that would be if you stole something that was actually cool, like, I don't know, chocolate milk or a cookie or like something from the treasure chest things that you had if you were good in class, maybe. So I didn't steal any of those things, though. I stole a book from the book fair, because I'm just that cool of a person, right? I mean, how awesome. <laughs> I just, yeah, so kind of a nerd, but uh, so I just, I don't even remember what the book was, but I remember thinking, man, I cannot live without this book. My life is just going to be so much more complete and satisfying with this book. So, you know, I stealthily grab it off the shelf and I stick it in my jacket and I evade the authorities the entire day throughout school. Nobody even suspects a thing because of course it's the pastor's kid. So who's even thinking about, you know, why would they ever do something like that? And then I get home And I'm not two steps in the door before my mom starts interrogating me about the day. I mean, this is usually what moms do or parents do, right? When you get home, how was your day, honey? You know, oh, what'd you learn from school? And I'm like, oh, it was a good day, you know, learn stuff. And I'm just trying to like beeline it to my bedroom to throw this book someplace and get it out of, you know, sight. And she keeps asking questions and the interrogation continues. And oh, I'm just, I'm crumbling under the pressure. And eventually she just, with her momniscient sense, she just like gets to the root of the problem. And she's like, hey, what's that book doing there? And starts asking all these questions about the book. And I'm like, all right, I'm sorry. I stole the book. It was a mistake. I shouldn't have done it. And I just, I mean, I cracked right there. And the hardest interrogation I've ever been through. And so I, so I, I returned it the next day and all was good. But um, I wish I could say that was the last time I broke the seventh commandment, but it's not. And especially when we think about a broader sense of the seventh commandment. So maybe you've never stolen anything tangible, but maybe you've experienced or been the person that steals something like this. So you, do you realize there are people out there that have a knack for stealing joy? Kind of like this SNL clip. Take a look. So even at Disneyland, even at Disney World, there's... People that can steal joy. Maybe you've experienced that in your life. And it's not to make light of serious situations, and it doesn't mean you need to feign happiness all the time, but I think stealing joy is a real thing. Or maybe you've stolen more in this way. You're um, at work, and you know, you've been working on a report or something on your computer, and then you check Facebook. And that small check of Facebook turns into, you know, I mean, maybe 20 minutes of like, Surfing around and checking Twitter and checking ESPN, you know, staying up on the Hawkeyes on Iowa State, on Florida State football. I'm sure there's tons of people here besides me that do that. Um, So, you know, just all these opportunities to steal your time away from work when you're at work. Or maybe you're watching TV at home with your family and you're so wrapped into the television that you're just not even interacting at all with your kids and you're stealing time away from them. Or you pull one of these and you're at a restaurant, you probably all have seen this, you know, so there's two people sitting down and they're both like just focused right on their phone and they're not doing any, they're just, I mean, staring more at their phone than they are at the person sitting across from them. 
You know, there's just these crazy ways that we can steal our time and our attention and our, um, yeah, just all of this away from other people. And so maybe if you're like me, I, after thinking about some of those other ways that we can steal, I was my own worst Debbie Downer. And I'm like, dang, you know, I break the seventh commandment all the time. All the time. Because all of those examples that I just shared are things that I have done, like, within the last week even. So, I don't want you to feel guilty. Don't, I mean, it's, we all break rules. We all make mistakes. I don't, don't focus on that part right now. I want to focus on what I think is the root of this problem, the root of this issue. Why is it that stealing is such a prevalent thing in all of its many forms? So, before we get there, though, let's say a prayer. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thanks for the opportunity to gather here this morning. Thanks for the opportunity to sing praises to you, to hear your word, and to encounter you now. God, get me out of the way this morning that your word may be heard clearly. You are the living God. You are here among us, present right now. Wipe away our guilt and just help us get to the heart of this matter. Be with us now. Amen. So remember the Ten Commandments, God created them, wrote up this list so that relationships could flourish. They're not just rules for the sake of rules. But they're rules so that relationships can thrive. Relationships, one, with us and God, and then also relationships with each other. And they're made so that God made them so that we had a structure to build this trustworthy world. A world where relationships could thrive. Jesus talks about it this way. If you want to turn to John 10.10 with me. John 10.10 is page 819 in the Abundant Life Bibles. When you got it, say, I got it. There we go. All right, so, and it's up on the screen too, and we can, so let's read this, just John 10, 10, together. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. You see, when we steal We can't build a trustworthy world. When we steal, relationships won't thrive. When we steal, we can't access the rich and satisfying life that God has to offer through Jesus. And yet we keep on stealing, right? Stealing is so prevalent. And I think that's because we live in a world that makes us think that we are anything but rich and satisfied. Because if we were rich and satisfied, there would be no need to steal, right? We'd have everything we needed. But we live in this world that sells us this false equation that stuff plus more stuff equals wealth. Stuff plus more stuff equals wealth. And we believe it, don't we? I mean, there's always something. Man, if I just had that thing in my life, my life would be so much better. And maybe it's something tangible, maybe it's not. Maybe it's a car or a house or 
new clothes that you feel are going to make you feel rich and satisfied, or maybe it's a relationship or a feeling or an accomplishment. Either way, in today's scripture reading, Paul is writing to Timothy, he's a young protege of Paul's, and at the end of the letter, he's warning Timothy against people that just want so badly to be rich. And this, Paul says, is the consequence. 1 Timothy 6, 9 and 10. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It doesn't say that money is evil, but the love of money is. The love of stuff can be toxic. The love of that equation, stuff plus more stuff equals wealth, can be toxic. The love of our desires and being willing to just do anything and take shortcuts to get there, that can be toxic. I mean, God created us with some of these desires with needs for relationship, with needs for a sense of worth and security and love. So they're not inherently bad. But instead of putting in the hard work of a long-term investment to get these things, to earn these things, we take shortcuts. And stealing is all about taking shortcuts. So maybe instead of putting the creative energy and investment into your business, you steal a business partner's idea. Or maybe instead of putting in the joy and the pain of building a long-term lasting relationship, you settle for a one-night stand. Or maybe you take a shortcut in school to get good grades by cheating. Or you take a shortcut to intimacy and pleasure by looking at porn. So many ways that we can take shortcuts to what our otherwise good desires, we try to microwave certain parts of our lives that aren't microwavable, microwave safe, right? Think about the difference between a microwave and a crockpot, and there's some things that just, they just need to develop over time, and it takes time, and it takes energy, and it, it's not an instant fix, because those fixes don't always last. We need a permanent solution of some kind to this rich and satisfying life that we're looking for. We'll come back to that whole microwave crockpot idea in a bit. So, so Philip Seymour Hoffman, I was thinking about people, rich and satisfying lives this week. And Philip Seymour Hoffman, you know, Academy Award winning actor who was it last week or just a bit ago was found dead in his apartment, an overdose. On the surface, you know, Philip looks like this incredibly successful actor, reaches the pinnacle of his career getting an Oscar, and yet on the inside, his life is falling apart. And a one-time use of heroin, some shortcut to real satisfaction, spirals him out of control, right? And I know there's a lot on the, below the surface that we don't know about, but isn't it amazing how often, time and again, we see this example out of Hollywood? 
we see that nobody is immune to this deadly pursuit of a rich and satisfying life. Even the most successful and talented among us. And I also thought of Johnny Cash. So Johnny Cash, music legend, right? Ring of fire, I walk the line. He is one of the few people, a handful of people that have won both a country music hall of fame, been inducted in, and also the rock and roll hall of fame. Just a handful of people. Fame and fortune flowed for most of his life. I think the term rich and satisfying would certainly apply, right? So in 2003, just, uh, or 2002, a little bit before Johnny Cash's death, he did a cover to a Nine Inch Nails song called Hurt. And in the music video for this song, it's Johnny Cash in his old age, and that's juxtaposed with past pictures of this hell-raising young man and all of the excitement of his life. And as we watch the music video, I want you to think about the equation stuff plus more stuff equals wealth. And I want you to ask, you know, is this really what a rich and satisfying life looks like in the end? Take a look. What have I become? My empire of dirt. Is that what a rich and satisfying life looks like in the end? There has to be something more, right? There has to be something more. Well, people have been asking that question, not just since Johnny Cash, but for over 2,000 years. I can think of 2,000 years ago specifically, a guy in the city of Jericho named Zacchaeus. So Zacchaeus, you might have heard of him. He's apparently a short man, a wee little man. But what he lacked in physical stature, he made up for in his personality and in his prominence and in his wealth. He was the chief tax collector for the region and had tons of money. He was also notorious because he cheated people out of their taxes. That's kind of what the tax collectors did back then. That's how they made their money. But still, the terms rich and satisfying had to apply to his life, right? Everything that was important, home and wealth and food and all of that, he had in abundance. And yet, for Zacchaeus, there must have still been something missing. And he wasn't quite sure what it was, couldn't quite put his finger on it. But one day he was out walking the streets of Jericho and he started to hear people talk about this guy named Jesus. Apparently Jesus was coming and this Jesus had been preaching in the countryside, preaching good news, whatever that meant, preaching about this kingdom of God, preaching about a new way to a rich and satisfying life that had nothing to do with the accumulation of stuff. In fact, just the opposite. This Jesus character made this audacious claim that it's only in losing our lives that we will truly find life. So Zacchaeus is like, all right, you know, this guy sounds kind of interesting. I want to try to at least 
get a glimpse of him when he passes through town. So his walk through town slowly turns into this run as he begins to search for maybe where the crowds are gathering and he finds the crowds, but the crowds are blocking his view and he can't see. And so he looks around and he finds a tree and he climbs up into the tree just hoping that maybe he can get a glimpse of this Jesus character. And well, he's not up in the tree more than a little bit and Jesus comes walking by and as soon as he rounds the bend, for some reason this just weird things happens, but their eyes meet, Zacchaeus and Jesus. And it's like Jesus was expecting to see Zacchaeus up there. And Zacchaeus is kind of creeped out by that, but he's like, okay, you know, whatever, guy up in the tree, I guess you don't see that every day. But then Jesus points to him, and he's saying something. Zacchaeus can't quite make it out, and so he leans a little bit closer and strains to listen, and he thinks he's hearing Jesus say his name, Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus. And, well, Zacchaeus is like, what? I've never met this guy. Let me, let me look around and see if there's any other Zacchaeus short people up in the tree, right? There's nobody up there. It's just him. And so, all right, he's talking to me. He knows my name. That's interesting. He's like, get out of the tree, Zacchaeus. I want to come have dinner with you at your house. Okay, all right. I mean, I guess so, right? I'll, I, we can go along with that. And so Zacchaeus runs out of the tree and he goes and meets Jesus and brings him to his home. And I have to imagine the conversation went a little something like this, at least from Jesus' point. So he's, Jesus is seated around the table with all of these other people, probably some other notorious sinners, the kind of people Zacchaeus would hang out with. And Jesus starts to talk and he says, you know, y'all are worried and bothered by many things. You're in this dogged pursuit of a rich and satisfying life. But you know what? Don't store up for yourselves treasure here on earth where moth and rust are just going to destroy it all. Don't you know where your treasure is? There your heart will be also. Trust in God instead. Trust also in me. I am the way to a rich and satisfying life. I am all you need. And Zacchaeus is blown away by this by the authority and wisdom with which this guy speaks. It's different than anything he's ever heard before. And as he listens and as Jesus continues to speak, just this wave of emotion rushes over Zacchaeus and he sees his whole life flash before him and all that he can think is, what have I become? My empire of dirt, isn't there more to life than this? And at that moment, in that encounter with Jesus, this has happened so many times throughout history. When sinners and broken people encounter this great God that loves them so much, Zacchaeus' life was changed. Zacchaeus' life was changed. And he stood up and he stood before Jesus and he said, All right, you know, I'm going to give everything I have, half of it all, away to the poor. And the rest of it I'm going to use to repay the people that I've cheated. Everyone that I've cheated in their taxes, I'm going to pay them back four times as much. And in that moment, you see, Zacchaeus understood what a rich and satisfying life was all about because it's not about the accumulation of stuff, tangible or intangible. It's about giving 
yourself away. So my hope this morning is that in some way you would encounter Jesus like Zacchaeus, maybe again, maybe for the first time, and that you would hear his call that I am all you need. I am all you need. That you would stop buying the lie that stuff plus more stuff equals wealth. And that in this year of roots and renewal as a church that we're going through, that you would find a new way to be rooted more deeply in God's love. And I want to start priming the pump for you with some questions as we end. First of all, what shortcuts are you taking in life? Remember, stealing is all about shortcuts, and it's going to look different for all of us. But the world loves to offer shortcuts, quick fixes that don't last. Jesus had something to say about this, and I love the way that the message paraphrase of the Bible puts it. Matthew seven, thirteen and 14. Usually it's translated as a narrow and wide road. But listen to this version. This is Jesus speaking. Don't look for shortcuts to God. The market is flooded with surefire, easygoing formulas for a successful life that can be practiced in your spare time. Don't fall for that stuff even though crowds of people do. The way to life, to God, is vigorous and requires our total attention. So what shortcuts are you taking in life? What areas of your life are you using a microwave instead of a crockpot? What areas in your life have you tried to microwave? What relationships or feelings or accomplishments or desires have you looked for that instant fix? My hope and my prayer is that we begin to realize that the way to a rich and satisfying life, the way to God, will become clearer as we stop using the microwave and we start accepting that the way to life, to true life, can only be forged in the slow cooking of a crockpot. Now that may sound kind of silly to some of you. Maybe, I mean, maybe it's brilliant. And I'd, I've heard John and Andy talk about it before, so it's not my idea. But if, if that sounds a little funny to you and you need a little more sophisticated way of talking about it, Eugene Peterson, who's an author and pastor, he talks about discipleship, about this Jesus way of life this way. Discipleship, he says, is a long obedience in the same direction. A long obedience in the same direction. It's not going to happen overnight. We're always, in fact, going to be sinners and saints. But one step after the other, after the other, a few steps back, a few steps forward, that is the way of discipleship, of following after Jesus. A long obedience in the same direction. So what shortcuts are you taking in life? In what ways have you wandered from the true faith and been pierced by many sorrows, like Paul wrote about? So what shortcuts are you taking? And as you 
think about some of those unmet desires that are at the root of some of those shortcuts, I want you to think about this question too. Will you ask God daily to satisfy you? Do you believe that God is all you really need? That he is the way and the truth and the life, the way to a rich and satisfying life beyond anything that we can imagine right now? Will you ask God daily to satisfy you? The Apostle Paul wrote about what he had discovered to be the secret to contentment and satisfaction. So here, Paul, this is a guy who's been through a lot of crazy stuff in his life, right? Shipwrecks and imprisonments and beatings. And yet through it all, through good times and bad, he's discovered this secret to satisfaction. And in Philippians 4, he shares it with us. Philippians 4, 11 through 13. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. That might sound just too ethereal. It might sound too out there. It might sound like something that just, I mean, you need someone right here and right now. But I think one of the first steps to realizing the people that might have already been around you and waiting to help is that you ask God to satisfy you daily. Start there. See what happens. And finally, Will you give more than you take? Will you embrace the idea that life cannot flourish when we steal? That, in fact, God gave us the seventh commandment specifically, not just so we wouldn't steal, but so that we would find the joy and satisfaction in giving ourselves away so that relationships can thrive. It may seem like a pipe dream at times. It may sound impossible, giving more than you take. Maybe you don't have much to begin with. But I've seen this impossible thing happen time and again in just my six months here at Hope. I've seen it in the incredible generosity of a church, of you, of all of you, who have been so passionate about transforming a city that you give of your own money and your own time and your own energy to renovate this crazy former car dealership into a church building, into a center for renewal and mission. Sounds kind of improbable, right? I've seen it just in the last two weeks as all of the campuses of Hope came together for the Super Bowl food drive. What may be impossible for a few, filling all of the pantries, many of the pantries in the Des Moines area, 50 of them, is possible when God brings his people together. 50 food pantries 
filled to overflowing because there are people here in Des Moines who believe and trust in the promise that it's more blessed to give than to receive, that have found the joy and rich and satisfying life in giving more than they take. So what shortcuts are you taking in life? Where are you, will you ask God daily to satisfy you? And will you give more than you take? If you're overwhelmed, that's okay. I think these are kind of overwhelming questions. They're overwhelming for me at times. But you were never meant to do this alone. None of us were. So at the end of the service, we're going to have prayer partners up at the front that would be happy to pray with you. If you'd like to take that step. Scripture promises that the same power that raised Jesus from the grave lives in us. And if you need to be reminded of of that power this morning, if you need to be reminded of God's love for you this morning, if you need to be encouraged to stop taking those shortcuts, please, I'd invite you after the service to come forward and pray. So I'm going to close with a well-known prayer It's been attributed to a guy who at one point was wealthy, much like Zacchaeus. But like Zacchaeus, he found that there was greater joy in giving that away. This man, Francis of Assisi, wealthy guy, and just could not find rich and satisfying life in the accumulation of stuff, and so he gave it away. And he turned his life to God and into the service of God's people. He discovered that true wealth is deeper than the accumulation of stuff. And Jesus is all he needs. So would you join me in praying this prayer that's going to be up on the screens? O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen.